You're listening to the third and final episode of the special edition of the CREA Gender, Sexuality and Communication section podcast, recorded live at the Gender Museum in Aarhus, in connection with the 2022 ECREA conference. I'm Valentina, your host, and for this episode, I spoke to Greta Gober. Hi Greta, thank you so much for being the last guest on this uh, in this series at the Gender Museum. And uh, could you start by introducing yourself, your um, position in this uh, sea of academia, and uh, and your research interests and and projects at the moment? Okay. Hi Valentina, thank you for having me, and hi everyone. Um, my name is Greta Gober. I'm a Polish researcher. I call myself feminist media researcher. I am uh, right now a principal investigator in a project that is funded by the Norway Funds, and it's called Diversity Management as Innovation in Journalism. It's a two-year project based in Warsaw University, the Department of Journalism. And uh, so I am there for two years, and then after that we'll see, you know, one of the precarious uh, academics. So I go from a project to a project. Uh, so far has worked, but we'll see what happens. Uh, so now I'm also an assistant professor or something like that. I was a postdoc before uh, at the Stockholm University at the media department where I did work on online harassment of female journalists, also from an organizational perspective. So I do all my projects are around uh, power relations and uh, communication and power relations uh, and identities and organizational setting. So this is my uh, sort of focus, like if I had to distill this, you know, what I'm doing, I am an organization, feminist or gendered organization theories. This is my uh, my cup of tea. Yeah, and uh, that's... What, what, what that's it? a very good title. No, <laughs> it was just uh, what you were doing right now. Uh-huh. But in relation to, uh, to the project, your current project, mm, This is a very basic question, but why is intersectional diversity and talking about intersectional diversity in uh, in newsrooms uh, specifically, but maybe media organizations more broadly, why is it so important? Uh, for for me, it's important because I, I'm a feminist media researcher, so I have also traced, like, been following the, the historical developments around women entering newsrooms back in the 70s, 80s. And as we know, most of us probably here know that this hasn't been a very always a success story. So it's not it's simply about bringing people, uh, different people, um, to the newsroom in order to have the newsroom change. Like when feminists first decided to demand a space for themselves in the in the mainstream media, they didn't just want to um, come into the existing structures. They wanted to change the the, the structures of, of this uh, of the way that media work. But so far, uh, have we succeeded? Uh, you know, yes and no. There seems like it's like still ongoing. The work is still ongoing. So when I started seeing that the same starting to ha- sort of happen around the diversity discussion. That on one hand, you know, a lot of money started coming in and from Google Innovation Fund, you know, to, to look at diversity and or talk about diversity in the media. 
and the newsrooms, newsrooms managers and CEOs uh, from media organizations increasingly started talking about this as like we need diversity. I said to myself, okay, now we're gonna have like a, uh, the history is gonna repeat itself because it's it's not like this has appeared out of nowhere. This diversity discussion has been around for also many years, and there's a lot of research also from the critical uh, perspective where I come from. So I thought we need to have a um, um, we need to go further with this work. You know, like we need to innovate around the way we think about diversity because. As I said, it's not enough to bring diver diverse people into a newsroom to have a diverse uh, outcome. Uh, and it's not even enough to have a lot of diverse perspectives because sometimes you can have, you know, 50% of women in the newsroom and the, and, the, and the way the newsroom will, what type of news they will produce will be still very kind of traditional, hegemonic and, uh, you know, masculine and all that which comes from the way we are socialized as professionals and what types of norms around the news, you know, journalistic culture and so on. So for this project, I don't, I moved away from, we moved away um, from thinking about diversity in terms of like social, uh, psychological, demographic um, f factors <laughs> or, or, or characteristics. So we don't like think about it as gender, race, class, and, and, and like operationalize it in, in terms of, you know, how we can quantify or something like, no, now we're going to have, uh, I don't know, 3% people with uh, disabilities, 6% of people with uh, this background and, and so on. But we are thinking about it from the uh, communication center perspective. So we're thinking about diversity as polyphony, diversity of voices, discursive diversity, and this becomes more um, about the daily micro-level uh, sets of arrangements and working culture which make it possible or not for different voices to come through the newsroom. And, these new, and this concept of polyphony speaks also, it's, it's, it, it talks about individual voices but also like societal voices, so discourse, discourses that are uh, seen uh, by um, broader society, so this can be uh, NGOs or social movements or alternative media, you know. And so do we have a, a newsroom that allows for these voices to speak through the newsroom in terms of news? So that's basically why it's um, intersectional. It will be intersectional since we will be focusing on the voice. But how do newsrooms actually react when you come uh, with diversity not as a set of uh, you know like ready-made mm. bullet points but um, but you handle it in in this discursive way where it becomes much more complex much more intangible in a way how, mm. how do they react uh, it is tricky from one per in one in one sense because it makes it more dif more easier to dismiss the work because if you have DNI initiatives, which which like corporations are very good at this, to, to diversity and inclusion, diverse uh, different initiatives, they will they will be counting. They they will be like they are, there's a way to monitor and then through this held hold people accountable or someone the, there's a manager or someone who's you know responsible for for this diversity and inclusion um, part of the organization and this media 
world. It's I didn't really even invent this polyphony as, as a diversity management as polyphony because we saw this, or I saw this also in, um, in the way that the media organizations talk about diversity. So they themselves talk about mirroring of the society, um, looking for skills that sometimes they call it skills that are missing from their newsrooms. Discursive uh, uh, diversity also I heard this. Expression. So, it's being this concept of polyphony. It seems more comfortable actually for newsrooms, even private newsrooms. Um, by that I mean uh, not public service organizations, but private media organizations, to see that this is a concept that could work for them. So, when the focus is on mirroring the society, being relevant for the society, being relevant for 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 your listeners, trying to reach out to groups of people who are not listening to your, or list by, and by listening I mean also reading or watching or you know, just following your, your outlet. And yeah, that becomes like, this is their, their way of talking about diversity. And now when, when we say, okay, let's do research on, uh, and see how you're doing it, how you're really allowing these voices and these perspectives to come through, then it becomes a messy business. <laughs> Then it becomes less, uh, you know, depressing, <laughs> or more depressing. How come? You know, because then, because in my work, I talk to journalists who are so-called diversity subjects. So I also f follow the the way that an organization will um, define. Uh, what is diversity for them? And in different countries, is is different. Uh, focus is different. So we're looking at Poland, Sweden, and the UK. In Poland, it's mostly LGBTQ community, which is in opposition to the government uh, and targeting this community. So it's interesting that it's actually the private media that are that are the biggest, you know, advocates for LGBTQ rights, and they are uh, paying attention to inclusive language. They they have. They really do innovative work from my perspective now that I that I um, have the comparison. In Sweden, uh, it's a lot of talk about uh, ethnicity and race. Uh, and the UK is also now a lot about class, disability, so they're more, much more... So they do have characteristics. But nevertheless, if you if ask them about uh, diversity, they will say it's about competence, it's about uh, perspectives, it's about networks also so that you have a journalist that has access to different societal networks, like by that, you know, the bubbles, that we live in bubbles, and therefore you need to bring journalists who have their ear and eyes in a different bubble than you, right? So your newsroom becomes diverse and can see and hear more. And then what happens, the depressive part, is, is they, they will bring these journalists to, to, the, to the newsroom. And then, of course the old style working culture will kick in and there will be someone who thinks they know better and there will be a lot of opposition to these different discourses and different stories and there will be a lot of gatekeeping and there will be a lot of microaggressions and 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 for the journalists who are trying to bring these different perspectives this is a lot of hard emotional labor it's a lot of hard work you know because you're the one who's always going against the grain you're the one who's always in opposition. You always have to explain your perspective. It's, it's like 
exhausting. So, so, but that's the type of research that we're trying to do. But we want to do it in a constructive way. So we have a methodology where we speak both to the managers or the people who represent the gatekeepers and the journalists. And in the end, we want to have some kind of cross-fertilization of perspectives so that we will be able to learn from each other. Because if you focus on polyphony, so polyphony is inherently you know, relational and dialogical. So you have to focus on the, um, you know, on the micro levels um, uh, situations. And if you don't agree that this has an effect on people, can they speak? Can they feel safe to speak? Can they feel, are they welcomed by the newsroom to bring this different story, different perspective? Uh, or are they always shut down and ridiculed and, you know, uh, make, making their life is being um, made just difficult in this organization? If you don't agree that this is, this is something that, that matters for your newsroom to be polyphonic, then you are not really going to have a polyphonic newsroom. You're not going to be diverse in, in, in the way you work. But uh, depressing is um, it's like bittersweet because on one hand you have you you do find a lot of people who have genuine interest in and a lot of understanding, but then also you have a lot of managers who are like, really, are they still managers? Like sometimes you feel like people have like zero competence to work with other people. And they are still managers, you know, like... They are, like <laughs> that, I guess, goes back to uh, what you said in the beginning, going in and challenging the structures, and I guess here also organizational culture, um, and trying to, to change that. And that's why it, the, the task becomes so much bigger than just having like this uh, this checklist that that everyone can follow and i was also wondering because uh, diversity has really become uh, a buzzword mm -hmm. um and could it also be used in terms of you know like branding for for these uh, media that they could just like take it as a stamp and put it on uh, like a label under yeah under of course name? it's yeah. used like this that's why we need critical research that's why we need um, That's that's why I, I um, some some somehow uh, and now don't don't know this English word but like przewrotnie, which like means like um, do you know this? <laughs> no, <laughs> it, like um, never mind. But I meant it like we need on one hand we need to think innovatively around diversity management if we're gonna be moving this um, agenda forward because as I said before this we have the knowledge already. There is a lot of research. There is a lot of. Uh, lived experience of people who were with or who were um, the poster children of uh, different organizations. Uh, universities, they also do it. Like they will bring one Asian and one black person and, and they will put them on all the posters. And then other people arrive and are like, whoops, what is this place? I thought it was more uh, diverse, you know, because it's, it's actually a, a two-way street for, because it, it, it is a branding thing. And, and they know it, but then with that comes the responsibility of recruiting, you know, people or bringing to your newsroom uh, journalists who thought, and they say sometimes, "Whoa, I had much higher expectations of this newsroom. I had, you know, I have not anticipated this is going to be so difficult," and and therefore, you know, either they leave or and they use phrases like, you know, I have to go away to save my voice, not to lose my voice. 
so it's a lot talking about voice, you know, and perspective and and um, healing. They say they have to go away to heal. So it's it's. Um, um, but what was the question? I forgot. I forgot as well. The whole healing part, I guess, relates to the emotional labor that some journalists have uh, have to do, or I guess you could connect it to to that. Yeah, yeah, of course, mm. it's it's emotional labor and it's traumatizing and it's uh, exhausting. It's physically exhausting, psychologically exhausting. I mean, you know, if you're always the other one and you lose your self confidence in after some time because it's it works like this, you know. I also became interested in the questions of otherness when I myself became the other. So I think it's a very good experience actually to change the perspective. Um, and this is also something that I'm thinking about, like, when do we get to the point that we will accept that, I know it's difficult because as I said, from my own perspective, I became the other when I moved to uh, Norway and became the immigrant. Suddenly I was like, no, I'm not an immigrant. I'm going back. <laughs> That's why I never learned Norwegian. <laughs> so they don't have any, any, you know, any wrong signals. <laughs> I'm just kidding now. Uh, but but um, when do we come to this point where we accept other people's lived experience as and we take it at face value without having to uh, um, doubt it? You know, like, this is the major obstacle for me, like what I see it in newsrooms. Like, I haven't lived this, I don't understand this, I haven't seen it, therefore, it doesn't exist. Therefore, it's not true. Therefore, you're exaggerating. Therefore, uh, whatever. You know, this yeah. is this is this is uh, this is very uh, frustrating that we, you know, like I remember reading um, C -C CEO means uh, what does it mean CEO? Chief executive. So the one is chief communication officer from Facebook, Sandberg, right? What's her name? S S Cheryl Cheryl Sandberg. She she wrote in her book Lean In, which uh, I have, you know some opinions about this book, but it's not about that. But there is a moment in, in her career she describes that she goes to, she was in Google, working in Google before she joined Facebook as an executive, and she becomes pregnant. And then she says, oh, wow, I became pregnant. And then I realized that we have this huge parking lot and I have to walk through the parking lot and it's very difficult when I'm like heavily pregnant. So they're, they're in, they are introducing a parking spot for pregnant women. And it takes the CEO a freaking CEO to become pregnant to understand that this is difficult for women to walk when they are pregnant. <laughs> this is ridiculous, no? Like, on one hand, this is an argument for why we need diversity in news, in boardrooms, you know, in the, the, the places where we have power decisions, like decisions of power are, are happening. This is one argument. But another, on another hand, is just it's so frustrating. Like, do you really have to live through everything to understand that this is other people's experience? And uh, this is also polyphony, you know? I mean, this happens in, in so many contexts and it's so much um, related to, to power and, and, and hierarchies. And again, who, uh, who has the right to, to say what and who has the right to, to be believed? Um, but I was uh, I was wondering if you have an example of kind of like best practice newsroom uh, that you experienced that actually um, integrates um, diversity in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. 
just to comment on what you said earlier just a second ago yeah that's the why for, for for me communication rights or the right to communicate is like the most important human right because all your other rights you have all the different rights as a human being but they if they are violated and you don't have the right to communicate about this then they it's like these other rights they don't exist you know right to bodily integrity right to safe place uh, live, living self, you know safe home and, and so on if if you don't have the right to communicate this is happening to me i don't have a safe home i don't have you know my body integrity is being um, damaged or then then that, then you don't have these rights if you don't have the right to communicate so that's why i i feel like this is such an important you know part uh, of talking about human rights but um, the other question was um, uh, exemplary uh, newsroom there, there is there is not one exemplary newsroom that we found but good examples of different uh, initiatives and people uh, trying to make their newsrooms more inclusive more, more considerate and this can be from anything like you know a CEO sorry chief editor in chief <laughs> No, I'm stuck on the CEO, the editor in chief saying things like uh, making space for people to to be able to talk, or like you know like uh, for example if there is a room of um, there's a table with people around it, that they will consciously make sure that everyone speaks you know like uh, in an, in a non-threatening way so like you know maybe you would like to say like what about uh, you know Valentina what do you think about that. So, like, making really effort to 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 um, encourage people to speak up, and um, this uh, is important because uh, if you think historically, or if you think about people's experiences, they um, different people have different different uh, different experiences from school, from families, from you know how they were brought up, and so on, and. It, you know, all this talk about mansplaining and this and this. We know that there are certain people who will talk more freely without even being asked. And they have something to say about everything. <laughs> and this is also one reason why we often hear that men are more likely to be interviewed in the media. Because they are, will say any, uh, yes to, to the invitation always. And women will, maybe will say, no, I'm not an expert or something. But we have to be critical about this. And the same goes for communities. So this becomes particularly interesting if you look at the relationship between media and movements, social movements, and or communities, certain to communities. Why there are certain communities and certain organizations that know how to communicate with the media, and there are others that don't know. But it's our responsibility as a journalist or as a media organization to, to make effort to, to get, reach out to these organizations or these people who are not trained in, in they're not literate in, because now it turns out, you know, you need communication officers, you need money, you need this and this. It's, it's like you need to put on spectacles or shows or whatever so that you bring the media's attention. And this is, this is, uh, this is so short-sighted, you know. Because it's not the most uh, loud people that are the most interesting even, or the most, uh, you know, clever. Sometimes it's the most quiet one who doesn't say anything, and then you finally manage to say something, and they say something, and you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, we ended uh, ended this on a totally different note than we started, even like this question. But uh, we have run out of time. And That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very happy that uh, I mean we're in the in the section together, the section for uh, gender, sexuality, and communication. So we can continue our conversations later on. Uh, thank you so much, Greta, for uh, for coming and for for participating in uh, in this little. Podcast recording. Thank you for having me. It was, yeah. it was a pleasure. <laughs>